would sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has a quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. And then from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen of God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then from Acts chapter 10, uh, beginning in verse 1, I'll be reading verses 1 through 16 and then going to chapter 11, verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius, and when he observed him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who awaited on him continually. So when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went uh, went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they... While they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven open and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again a second time, What God has cleansed you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. And then beginning in verse 1 of chapter 11. Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, you went in to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, an object descending like a great sheet, let down from heaven by four corners, and it came to me. When I observed it intently and considered, I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. Now this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. 
At that very moment, three men stood before the house where I was, having been sent to me from Caesarea. Then the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house, who said to him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, as was upon us at the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? When they heard these things, they became silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you that in your word you describe how you build your house. And Father, we know that you do it in unusual ways. Your ways are not our ways. Your thoughts are not our thoughts. You are high and lifted up. Your holy counsel will come to pass throughout the ages. And we, we are your children, called to righteousness and to walk by faith. That as you work in and through your creation to bring about glory to your name, in the name of your Son Jesus as well, and the Holy Spirit, But Father, we are to live in humble reliance upon You, trusting You for the increase, trusting You for the straight and narrow path in which we are to walk, and Your Spirit to guide and direct us in that path. Father, all these thoughts come to our minds as we think about the mission of Trinity and the potential of a church plan in Wilmington. And so, Father, we pray that You would guide and direct us Guide and direct us by faith. Help us to walk by faith and not by sight. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, brethren, as was discussed at the head of household meeting, and of course not all of you were there yesterday, so some of this will be news to you. Uh, Late this past month, the heads of households of the northern families here at Trinity came to the session with a proposal to plant a church in Wilmington, Ohio. The hope of planting a church in Wilmington, Ohio has already been openly discussed by our church for many years. But now there's some urgency to it for the families in the north, and they came to express that desire to the session uh, this past month. We as a church body have been blessed to have the eight families in the north worship us with us for many years. And that number has grown and waned at different levels at different times, but there is a core of families that continue to worship with us, and we're very grateful for their their presence. And it has been the hope that these eight families would someday establish their own work for the glory of God and the advancement of His kingdom closer to home, their homes. Those families have asked the elders of Trinity to begin that process in earnest in the coming year. And the elders of Trinity have committed this request to much prayer 
and have communicated at the head of household meeting that we are in principle supportive of this endeavor. This is not to say that we do not have concerns. We do. However, we believe that our concerns can't be addressed (coughs) as we move forward with a common goal. This morning's sermon is intended to give us eyes of faith as we consider, pray for, and move toward the establishment of a Reformed Church in Wilmington, Ohio. We firmly believe the Scriptures are our authority for faith and practice. We believe, by faith, that the Word of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. We firmly believe, by faith, that that of the increase of the government and peace of Jesus Christ, there will be no end because the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And we firmly believe by faith that the gates of hell will not prevail against the onslaught of the church as the gospel is proclaimed and the nations are discipled. Those are the things we believe by faith. And we firmly believe by faith that we must follow after these promises that God has given us. Therefore, with that kind of faith in the prevailing work of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is incumbent that our practice, our orthopraxy, be in concert with the faith God has given us. The faith to believe these things. Our practice must be in concert with our faith. Absent a commitment to the instruction of God uh, given in his word as to how we move forward, any labor in this effort would be in vain. And I believe that's what this first passage teaches us in no uncertain terms. I will briefly touch on each of the passages in hopes of bringing clarity to our orthopraxy, our practice in light of our faith, that we might know how best to do the work of the kingdom, trusting that God will advance it and use us as part of that means. So let's begin with looking at Psalm 127. I've read it already. Let me read it again. It's a brief psalm, uh, just five verses long. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has a quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Though Psalm 127 is primarily focused on households of what we 21st centurions would call the nuclear family, I think that's the the focus of the psalm, the principles are just as applicable to the household of God in a corporate sense. I would draw our attention to the two primary concepts that are evident in this passage. First, man's labors in building a house are futile, absent submission to the master builder of households, and that is the God of heaven. This is the case in our nuclear families as well as in 
the greater corporate family of God. If God is not the builder of the house, we labor in vain who try to build it. Well, what does that mean? God is the builder of the house. For God to be the master builder of any household, submission to his plans, purposes, instructions, dictates, his laws, in short, his revelation, submission to that must be unequivocal. It must be total. It must be without reservation. If God is going to be the master builder, we must be in submission to him. I believe that's what's being taught here in these very first verses. Thus, his means of building must be embraced if a long-lasting effort at building a church, or a household for that matter, has any hope of success. Let me say that again. His means of building must be embraced if a long-lasting effort at building a church has any hope for success. And we'll get into the means in a few moments, but I do want to touch on a few more things from Psalm 127 before we move on. Notice that the man who follows the master builder in the psalm in building his house can rest in the comfort knowing that the master builder is at work. Verse 2 tells us that we can actually sleep because the master builder is the one who's directing the building. It's not up to us. It's up to him. And there's rest to be found there. The man who diligently follows after God is at peace as he relies on the wisdom, the proven ability, and the promises of the master builder. And of course, our Lord is all of those things. He is the master builder. He has proven ability, does he not? And has he not given us promises to rest upon as he builds his church? Well, the second half of the psalm focuses our attention on the children of the home and This is necessary if it's a nuclear home or uh, the home of God, the, the, uh, the, the household of God. Those children are a blessing to the household. They're not a curse. They are a blessing. They are as arrows in a quiver. And the household is blessed to have a quiver full of those children. Arrows are useful tools in the hands of a skilled archer. And God is the skilled archer. And He delegates to His people that skill in the family. Such is the case in the church as well. I believe this is a reference to both longevity and covenantal faithfulness. These children in the quiver. When God builds a house, it is built for generations. Not just a single generation but for multiple generations. To build such a household, intentional thought must be given to the following generations, those who will come after. And we too should give thought to those following generations. In so many ways, this is where I believe the 21st century church really lacks. We don't think generationally. We seldom think beyond next week. But we should think generationally. Do we consider the subsequent generations when we are building this church or any other church? I believe God does. He thinks about the next generation. And we should follow in that thought pattern. 
The promise that he will be our God and a God to our children is replete throughout the scriptures. Psalm 103:17, Proverbs 13:22, Proverbs 17:6, Exodus 37:25, Acts 2:39 and the list goes on and on. I could choose any number of other passages as well. Thus God, the master house builder, builds houses purposefully and generationally. And we must think in those paradigms as well. This lesson must be learned by us and carefully considered as we consider church planning in Wilmington or any other place, like Middlesbrough, for instance. But now let us consider the purposes for which God builds his church. And I believe that is found in the passage in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. This is God's purpose for the building. 1 Peter 2.4, coming to him as to living a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. That is a reference to none other than Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone of the church. You also, meaning you, the ecclesia, the gathered ones, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are being laid all around the chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ. The apostles and the prophets, they are the first of the foundation. We are being built up on top of that, this holy structure, this spiritual house to be used for the praise of God. Our... Our catechism teaches us that our primary purpose in life is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And glorifying God then becomes our highest calling. According to our catechetical training, God is gracious to equip us to this end. And as is described in this passage, we are living stones. Now that's an odd odd thing to think about. What is a living stone? Well, the only thing that I can really give thought to is uh, Ezekiel's dry bones, the valley of dry bones. Uh, God breathes on that. His spirit and flesh and sinew comes to those bones and they come alive. We are stones, meaning that we are, we are affixed to a faith that is sure and true, but these stones are supposed to do something. You people are supposed to do something. Not only are you stones, but you're a spiritual priesthood inside this structure to offer sacrifices to God. We are being built up into a spiritual house and a holy priesthood, Peter writes. We are both the structure of God's house, spiritual house, and the priests who offer sacrifices in it. We, we function in two different ways. It seems odd to us, but that's the description that Paul gives to us. Or excuse me, Peter gives to us. Notice too that we are a spiritual house and priests who offer up spiritual sacrifices. Emphasis being on the spiritual here. In the Old Covenant, temporal sacrifices were offered pointing to the all-sufficient, once-for-all sacrifice by the great high priest, Jesus Christ. I think we would all agree to that. He offered His own blood for the remission of sins. And according to Peter, we as living stones are laid beside Him as living stones to continually offer spiritual sacrifices before God. 
So what then are those spiritual sacrifices? Particularly in light, that Je- in light of the fact that Jesus Christ was the once for all sacrifice. What else is to be sacrificed if he was once for all sacrificed? Well, we are blessed by the scriptures once again in Hebrews 13, where I believe P- uh, Paul, the, the author of Hebrews, tells us what it is we are to sacrifice. Hebrews 13:15. Therefore, by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. That spiritual house inhabited by a, a royal priesthood, you and I as believers are to offer a spiritual sacrifice And that sacrifice is the sacrifice of praise. That is the purpose of the house that God is building. The purpose of the house. It's a continual sacrifice. God's giving thanks, praising God, not only for who He is, but for what He does and what He's promised and what He shall do. Well, what about the means appointed by this master builder to build this house? I chose the passage in Acts 10 to emphasize the means God uses to build his house for two primary reasons. Those reasons being that God works in mysterious ways, but does so by his appointed means. He works in mysterious ways, but does so by his appointed means. I could have chosen a more didactic passage such as Acts 2.42 and following, I will refer to that passage here in a few moments. But I want us to see from Acts 10 that God's ways are not our ways and His thoughts are not our thoughts. Now, I'm going to draw some uh, parallels to our circumstances here, but there is one very distinctive thing that happens in Acts 10 that is not happening with us. And I want to make that abundantly clear. And that is the Holy Spirit has not put your elders in a trance and given us a vision of how to go forward. Nor has he done that, I hope, with the heads of the households in the, in the north. I don't think that's happened. I've not heard anybody testify to that fact, so I don't think it has. That does happen in Acts 10 and 11. That is unusual. And for the benefit of our children, children, why does God do it then and not now? Let me explain. The reason God did it then and doesn't work that way now is that then the entirety of the Scriptures were not complete. We didn't have a perfect revelation from God. And so His Spirit worked directly in the hearts of men and in the minds of men until that perfection of His Word was made manifest. And we have all 66 canonical books now and we have sufficient revelation whereas to use that in, a, in the advancement of God's kingdom as he sees fit uh, without the need of direct speaking to us from the, the Holy Spirit. That's the distinction here, okay? All right, let's go back to this passage. I'm not going to belabor the whole thing, but I do want to read the section from Acts 11 because that's a, a summary of the whole thing for us, what happened with Cornelius and Peter. So beginning in Acts 11, verse 1, Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, 
those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, you went into the uncircumcised men and ate with them. You were contaminated, Peter. You ate with the uncircumcised. They were filthy, and now you're filthy. That's the implication. That's the accusation. But Peter explained it to them. In order, from the beginning, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, and an object descending like a great sheet let down from heaven by four corners, and it came to me. When I observed it intently and considered, I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord. For nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, What God has cleansed you must not call common. Now this was done three times and all were drawn up again into heaven. And at that very moment, three men stood before the house where I was, having been sent to me from Caesarea. Then the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered the man's house, and he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house, who said to him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. So here we see Peter explaining that God, by His Spirit, has motivated this man Cornelius to send emissaries to bring him Peter to him to hear what, it, what the gospel has to say in its fullness. Verse 30, verse 16. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how He said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the same gift as He gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? Well, how can I withstand the very work of God in, this, in the midst of these men? And when they heard these things, they became silent. These are the men in Jerusalem, the, probably the elders of the church, those who had confronted Peter, saying, you're unclean, you want to be with these unclean people. And Peter, he's rebuking them in a way, though not not in a, an abusive way or a harsh way or even a, a, a hard-handed way. He's telling them what God did and that they need to respond to what God is doing. The Spirit is leading and they need to respond. And when they heard these things, they became silent and they glorified God saying, then God has also granted the Gentiles repentance of life. God works mysteriously. And in that first century... He used a Roman centurion, a Roman centurion who lived 39 miles from Peter. Peter had no idea this man even existed. But he used a Roman centurion who was seeking God, faithfully praying, giving alms, acting out what little faith he had. And God sent him an apostle to bring to bear truths that this man had never known. Again, they were some 39 miles apart. Cornelius in Caesarea, Peter in Joppa. 
God by His most holy will, not by the will of man, purposed to bring these men together for the advancement of the kingdom. Both would grow in faith as a result of God's leading. Both would benefit greatly in their own faith. But most importantly, God would be greatly glorified and His King would grow exponentially. Kingdom would grow exponentially. What God was doing in seed form here was going to sprout into your salvation. You are Gentiles. If Cornelius had never sent emissaries at 39 miles and Peter gone to Cornelius at the summons of God Himself and preached the Gospel to the Gentiles, we would still be outside the kingdom if that had not happened. Do you understand that? This is a very small beginning, but it's a very important beginning that redounded to our benefit some 2,000 years later. I would never have heard the Gospel preached by Paul Dixon, the former president of Cedarville College, at County Line Baptist Church in, in Kettering, Ohio, in June of 1973. I would never have heard the Gospel for the first time and responded to it by faith if Cornelius had not sent for Peter who went to visit him in Caesarea. It would never have happened. Because the Gospel would have been outside of the Gentiles' reach. Now you say, well, Chuck, God could have done it any number of ways. Well, sure He could. But that's the way He chose to do it. And that's important for us to understand. God works in mysterious ways. His wonders to perform. We see, I almost picked that psalm for today, or that song for today's service. There are two things I want us to notice in particular in this account. Both of these men were men given to prayer. Both Cornelius and Peter. Peter is one, prayer then is one of the four means, we're talking, I'm talking now about the means of establishing a church. One of the four means God uses to bring about the advancement of his kingdom. We read that in Acts 2, 42 and following. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Verse 46, So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Well, brethren, both men were seeking God's favor in God's appointed means, prayer. Both men were exercising the faith God had given them in all humility. And what do we see God do in their lives? God lifted them up. God blessed them. God advanced His kingdom through these two men. Cornelius to the hearing of the fullness of the Gospel when Peter visited. And Peter, having brought the Gospel to the Gentiles. This is a profound lesson. God works in mysterious ways, but He does so through His means. And the means of prayer is most evident here. This is what it means, means, pardon the pun, to live by faith. 
This is what it this is what living by faith teaches us. One lives by faith by trusting in the means given by God and following in his providential leading. But let me bring this then to conclusion. With these passages and lessons in our minds, let me apply these lessons to our circumstance. Many years ago, in God's providences, several families from the north of Cincinnati began attending Trinity. Trinity at that time was itself a church plant. We were also helping another church plant and still are in Middlesboro, Kentucky. Why God has brought that providential circumstance into the life of Trinity, I have no idea. A church plant, helping a church plant, and maybe now starting another church plant, and we're still a sapling, right? We're not some great oak that has lots of resources and can easily spawn another church. No, we are a sapling. The number of families from the from Wilmington area grew, much to the surprise of our elders. And I can tell you truthfully, we were surprised. We never, never had any idea that that number would grow as it did. That was God's doing. This was the Spirit's doing. Our elders had not sought out these precious families. We hadn't solicited them to come to Trinity. No, God brought them. So from the outset, our elders believed that these families eventually needed their own church in their own community, and we still believe this. Though in many respects, Trinity, as I've mentioned, is still very much a sapling of a tree, and I do wish we were a great oak that we could spawn another church easily. That's not the case. But that does not mean, however, that we cannot or should not bear fruit. Even saplings bear seeds that fall to the ground, some of which germinate and sometimes grow to be even bigger than the tree that bore the seed. Even the youngest of trees produce seed and can bear great fruit. And we know that with God, anything is possible. The Scriptures teach us that. We also know that He delights in confounding the world with small beginnings. He started with 11 faithful disciples who became apostles. And with 120 people in Jerusalem, read it in Acts chapter 1 and 2, 120 people, He then brought thousands of people to His Son Jesus in the church. Sometimes I've wondered what it would be like that if he, if he did that at Trinity. How would we, could we respond to that? <laughs> not, not, not how, but could we? It would overwhelm. In some respects, your elders already feel overwhelmed. Can you imagine adding 3,000, Tom? And then a month later, 5,000. 8,000 new converts in the course of three months. What a notion. But from our passages today, we learn that He will build His house. He's building a house. 
And He has purposed it and He will bring it to pass in His good pleasure. Isaiah chapter 46. And we are to be about using His means. This is an admonition to the northern families. Use His means. Use His means. Tonight I'll be preaching on that a little more uh, intently. Don't despise them. Embrace them. Embrace them. But we are to be about using His means, following His Spirit, the leading of His Spirit, and working diligently in the kingdom to do building for His glory. This is to be our orthopraxy. Now, I know there will be those who say it's beyond our ability. I would agree. That's why we serve the living God. We serve the one who has all the ability. And he can bring about things that we don't understand and do it in his ways. That's why we are creatures and he is the creator. He is the one, his thoughts are not our thoughts, his ways are not our ways. He is higher than us and full of ability and zealous to bring it to pass. And we have to trust and believe that all His ways are right and that whatever sacrifice we might have to make will be for His glory and the good of His kingdom. Let's pray together.